so long as it is translated correctly. Words we have all heard. These words kept me from trusting the Bible for years and years, and although I hate to admit it, these words may occasionally still play tricks on me. As a natural questioner all of my life, well, the devil knows is in. <laughs> but what I can't deny, not even for a second, is the peace, the excitement, the fullness that the Bible brings me now after coming to Christ. Does it have to do with the Holy Spirit? Is that what the changes that made the Bible truly feel like living water to my soul when I read it? I also wonder if it is just the fact that I am getting truth from the source, something I always longed for. But the words, so long as it is translated correctly about the Bible, were something I had to dispense of if I wanted to build a relationship with the Lord after leaving the Mormon Church and coming to Christ. I had to trust that what I was reading was indeed translated correctly, was God's word, and it was what God intended me to hear. Today's question, what translation of the Bible should I read? All right, ladies, we are jumping into our next episode in this series on the 10 basic Christian beliefs every Exmo and new believer needs to know. And I am so excited about this. And let me tell you why. Because when I first left the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, and was just at that place of wanting to learn what other Christian faiths were all about, I was really embarrassed because I remember sitting in Christian Mothers of Preschools Bible studies and not even being able to understand what they were talking about. I didn't know what a devotional was, why crosses were okay and not wrong, and why they never talked about Heavenly Mother or who even Paul was. I didn't know who Paul was. I really wanted somebody to just sit down and explain how to be a Christian 101 to me. And in all honesty, if I had had that, I feel like it would have taken years off of my 20 year journey that went from me leaving the church to coming to Jesus. Because all of those things are so confusing. We are relearning everything. And we're not just coming to Christ with a blank slate or from scratch. We're coming with a ton of religious baggage in tow. So we are jumping into this series to break down the 10 basic Christian beliefs that you need to know. You are listening to the Finding Faith Above podcast. I am your host, Shelby Hossfield, and I am so ready to do this with you because I have been where you are and we're ready to move forward with not giving up on Jesus after the church. Okay, friend, three steps to finding the perfect Bible translation for you. First off, if you are questioning the reliability of the Bible in general, then you need to go back two episodes to the beginning of the Christian Beliefs 101 series for Exmo and New Believers. In episode 67, we break down reasons to believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. You can find that in the show notes, or if you want to just jump into Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this, just go back to episode number 67 or on the uh, actual website, findingfaithabove.com. Find it there. And that's really going to help you because we really break down why we should believe in the Bible in the first place. So today we are assuming that you have some trust uh, and that you're really just needing more of that direction. So here we go. Spoiler alert, the King James Bible was not the original Bible that all further translations are translated from. 
I know it sounds crazy because we just think of that since it's written in this very uh, majestic way of speaking that it obviously was the original, but it was not the original. <laughs> Another spoiler alert. The Old Testament was written in ancient Hebrew. Do you know what language Jesus spoke? Aramaic. That means even God on earth, the Son, Jesus Christ, read translations or translated himself from the Hebrew, as many scholars believe. Think about that. Fascinating, isn't it? Here are three steps to finding the perfect translation for you to read. Number one, we need to get over the word translation and understand what it really means. The word translation really messed me up for a long time. What most of us in the church understood as translation is actually transmission. The word translation means the process of translating words or text from one language into another. Pretty simple. The word transmission, as it applies to the Bible, is the ancient process of copying Hebrew and Greek, man Greek manuscripts to preserve them for future generation and to distribute them for greater use. Since there were no copy machines, the text had to be copied by hand, and in this way, they were transmitted. So basically, they were given from one person to another, and then to another, and then to another in a very specific way. So transmission is when we, what we typically think of when we believe that the translation was corrupted, like a bad game of telephone. And I am so sorry to even say this, but I, I remember even telling my own kids this, that it was like a bad game of telephone because that's how ill-equipped I was at understanding what uh, goes into a translation of the Bible. So I was sold on the idea, partly through the church and partly through secular history class, that corrupt individuals held on to the Bible when they were in power. Let's say they had it for 50 years. During that time, they were the only ones in control of it. They corrupted it as they saw fit to suit their needs because, like it or not, even they recognized the Bible had power. At the end of their reign, they passed it down, and then further changes were made, and so on, and so on. See, the problem with this transmission theory in this way is that evidence does not hold up. So here are some basic facts. So the Bible, as we talked about last week, contains 66 books over 40 different authors in three languages over the course of 1,500 years. And they all agreed and tell one unified story of sin, redemption through the Messiah, judgment, and God's grace. At times in history, the scrolls were protected and integrity preserved to this degree. So Let's back up here for a second. So all of these books of the Bible were actually written in scrolls, and these scrolls were kept in the most sacred places uh, because they were God's word. So they were kept sacred from everything else and, and, and really protected. And then if these scrolls had to be recopied because they were getting worn out or we needed them for a different synagogue or whatnot. Uh, this was the process in which this happened. So synagogue scrolls had to be written on specially prepared skins of clean animals and fastened with strings taken from only clean anim animals. Each skin had to contain a certain number of columns. Each column had to have between 48 to 60 lines and be 30 letters wide. The spacing between consonants, sections, and books was precise, being measured 
measured by hairs or threads. The ink was specific and had to be precise in recipe. The scribe had to wash their entire body before beginning and again every time before writing the name of God, Yahweh. The number of words were counted, syllables, forward and backward from the middle of the page to the end of the page. If more than two mistakes in any way were made, no revision could be made on that entire manuscript. It had to be tossed out. Old manuscripts were destroyed to keep from being misread. This is just like a basic little synopsis. There is so much that went into the preservation of these scrolls, of these manuscripts, of the the, the copying of them. This was, this was done in the most precise manner. They took it very seriously. It was God's word. So in 1947, the biggest biblical archaeological find happened that could have ever occurred when it comes to the Bible. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered giving rise to hundreds of manuscripts dating well before the earliest manuscripts we had previously one such complete book was Isaiah. It closed the gap between the oldest copy we had and what was found by, they say, roughly a thousand years. Everyone expected for these two manuscripts, when you set them side by side, to be drastically different. And this is what we're talking about today. Transmission, translation. So had it been corrupted, had it been changed, had the transmission of the ancient text been messed up greatly through that time, and this was going to prove it. This was going to be the end-all, be-all for all of it. In fact, aside from minor alterations in spelling and a few different little oddities in the two documents from the ancient world, this was just amazing, but they were the same. They were the same, which just goes to prove how incredibly important it was to preserve God's word. So when we're talking about transmission, mm -mm, it, it didn't get messed up. And we have over 24,000 different manuscripts, all of them working back and forth within each other. That, my friends, that's God. The original school scrolls were written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Today, the Bible has been translated into over 700 languages. Now, that's more on the translation side. I think we just broke down enough about transmission. So let's look at translation. What do they use to create translations? Well, different, like, so we have all the different translations today. And there's multiple different translations in the English language. How do they get those? So what they use those very old, as original as possible, manuscripts were written in the language they were originally written in. So in today's world, because they've compiled all these manuscripts at this point and put everything together and, and put it into something that works best, uh, nearly all modern English translation of the Old Testament are based on a single manuscript, which is called the Leningrad Codex, also called the St. Petersburg Codex. That's copied in 1008 or around 1009. It is, in fact, used by the majority of scholars. The Aleppo Codex is the basis for the Hebrew University Bible Project in Jerusalem, copied in about 925 CE. Part of it was lost, so it must rely on additional manuscripts. And as a result, the Aleppo Codex contains the most comprehensive collection of variant 
readings. So all of this can be found. You can you can just Google the heck out of all of this, and it's just amazing. But how do they put these different translations actually together in today's in today's age? So this is how it works. They get a team of very smart individuals consisting of anthropologists, theologians, linguistic experts, social and historical science geeks, and those who know way more about an ancient culture and a language and understanding than any modern human should. <laughs> they all get together and they pour over these ancient documents for literally years. That is how a reliable translation today is created. Do they sometimes disagree? Yeah. Do ancient manuscripts sometimes disagree? Yeah. And that is why you have all those little footers in the bottom of a good translation. In the little texts, you'll have little numbers, and then in the bottom, it'll tell you different things. This all just gives rise to some of the discrepancies called variants and where those occur in the different manuscripts. And it really is beautiful how it works because it's not a lie. So there's no secret here. They're telling you everything that they know based on all of the manuscripts and what, what it's giving rise to. So it's no secret, and it's also no seer stone in a top hat, but we won't go there. <laughs> in all, there are over 24,000 ancient manuscripts of the Bible. These are all looked at. So number two, why is there more than one translation? Right? I mean, think about it. If we're just translating, not transmitting, but translating from one language to another, why is there so many different translations? And I think that this really bothered me for a long time because I just wanted the truth, right? We, we don't want to be lied to. We just want the truth. So it gets a little bit more complicated when it comes to actually translating it. And so let's dive into that for a, for a second. We're looking at here thought for thought versus word for word. Now that we have established what translation means, what transmission means, and where translations come from, let's look at some differences in those translations. If this fancy team is simply translating words from one language to another, why would there be differences? Well, it's simple. Culture, really, that's what it comes down to. So let's use the popular saying today, get a taste of your own medicine. <laughs> We've heard this before, right? Let's say we wrote this down and it became a manuscript because it was written down and it was copied. If someone 2,000, 3,000 years from now, speaking in a completely different language, in a completely different culture, decided to translate this manuscript word for word, they might think that you somehow actually create medicine <laughs> when reality, this simply means something you did to someone else now is happening to you, not medicine at all. That is what we get with Bible translations. We have one approach that is word for word as possible. Will we be able to understand all of the text in context? Hmm, most likely not, but maybe that is not for the translators to decide. The other approach is thought for thought. This translates the meaning of the text. For instance, in the example above, one might translate it, you get what you deserve. The true meaning is there regardless of the words. So we're not translating the words exactly. It's the meaning of it that goes behind it. And that, that ends up being more of that thought for thought translation. Most translations today are a good mix. 
One thing to note, if you really don't feel like trusting these super smart teams of Bible translator gurus, you can actually learn to read the ancient text yourself. That's right. They still exist and you can read them. No one is stopping you. And with the internet now, there is no need to even fly across the world to Jerusalem and check them all out for yourself. As for myself, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be doing that. Uh, I, I have way too much on my plate to be learning ancient Hebrew, um, but maybe one day. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Just as God protected Isaiah, I trust his word in the translations we have today. Okay, so now for the big moment, number three, what translations do we have and what should we trust? What should you use? By and large, there are a number of the most popular English translations available literally at your fingertips at any second. So a couple different apps. The Bible app, just like the plain old Bible app. If you Google it, you'll find it right away. The Blue Letter Bible is really cool. It gives you commentaries, which are like kind of a deep dive uh, from very, very, very smart theologians who will give you kind of their... Uh, interpretation and how these different verses and whatnot link back to each other as well as their thoughts on the different translations so cool but that's an app also at your fingertips there are a lot of other different apps as well where you can literally just toggle back and forth between different translations and see what the differences are i do this all the time you can even put them like side by side and compare them it's too easy considering what people still go through today to hold his word in their hands in parts of this world. We are so blessed. And without any further ado, here is a list of some of the most popular translations on a scale from the most word for word to thought for thought. All right, so let's break it down. Our most word for word, the New American Standard Bible is pretty much known as the most word for word. I don't typically read this one a whole lot, but I do have a good friend that this is what she likes now. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That That's where you want to be. The most word for word, go for it. I think most scholars agree that that is in line with like uh, the best in-depth study if you want to do it from a scholarly point of view. The next that I have on the list is the English Standard Version. That's what I like. I prefer the English Standard Version just because for whatever reason, I just really feel like it speaks to me. And so my little Bible that I have in my purse on hand at all times is the English Standard Version. Uh, next is the New English Translation, then the King James Version, then the New King James Version. And that kind of sums up the most word for words. Then we have moving kind of a little bit farther... We have the meaning for meaning, which is uh, closest natural equivalence, they like to say. This is God's word translation. I am not familiar with this translation at all. Um, so maybe do a little research into that before you go really poking around with it. Um, but that one is one that they do have as well. All right, so then we move into the thought for thought so the Christian Standard Bible is kind of moving into that thought for thought. The next is going to be the NIV. And I would say among most popular Christians today, the NIV, I would say, still remains probably the most popular version. That's the one that it seems like 
many people gravitate towards because it's pretty easy to read. It really is pretty easy to read. The next is going to be the New Living Translation, and I would say this is a close second and actually maybe gaining some more speed in these days. It seems like a lot of bigger churches are even moving to the NLT as opposed to the NIV. Um, I think there was some changes updated to the NIV uh, a few years back, and I think the NLT People are just, for whatever reason, that seems to be the one that people are really uh, gravitating towards now. Um, to me, it, I, I use all of these. I use the ESV, I use the NIV, I use the NLT. I like all of them. Uh, but like I said, for my own personal study, I mostly do the ESV. Although you will hear on this podcast and in the blog, I do a variety of all of them. I And I use the, the Bible app and I toggle back and forth and I, I find which one I feel like really speaks uh, the most to what we're talking about in the easiest way. And so that's where we go from there. So then we get into some different some different Bible translations. And these are, these are kind of even like on a whole different level. Uh, they're great for reading. Uh, if you're really struggling to understand a passage, and I would say even a lot of the Old Testament, if you're really struggling to understand the story, because some of it can be very heavy, then moving towards a translation that's more in a paraphrase is a great way to go. So here are some different paraphrased type of translation. The New International Reader's Version, the Good News Translation, and then what I would say is the most popular one of all of these, and one that I have looked back and referenced on many times when trying to really understand a passage that maybe was a little bit harder for me to get, is the message. The message is one that is, it's really just paraphrasing uh, all the beautiful stories, and the message is literally just trying to give you the message without complicating it. Uh, so that's kind of just a basic breakdown. On the blog post for today, you will see that there is a really cool little graphic that I found that has all of this broke down so that if this is going too fast or if you're you know out for a run right now or if you're doing something else and you don't have time to write down these different versions you can go back and take a look at that so go to the the blog post for today in the show notes that's going to give you a little bit more information on all of this and do your own research in it there's nothing wrong with that there is nothing wrong with diving in and having some questions here i know we were always told not to have questions but have them and do some research into them and really look into what version is going to work for you? So some things to note. There are some funky translations out there. The Joseph Smith translation, anyone? Where the approach that we talked about above with the team of very, very smart linguistic individuals was not used. So before you decide to venture off and go use a translation outside of the popular versions, do some research and make sure you are comfortable with the approach that they took. Even with some of these popular ones, if you're not comfortable with it, that's okay. It is okay to question here. It is okay to find something that works right for you in your heart and that God is directing you in. And know this, God speaks his word into all of our hearts in different ways. So just because one sings to me doesn't mean that it has to speak to you in the same way. In this blog podcast, I use mainly the ESV, the NIV, the NLT, but I toggle between all of them. Like I said, that's why I have these different apps on my phone so that I can find something that really does 
speak to what we are going over. And, and the biggest thing is so that when I'm trying to give you all direction and understanding about these passages, that I'm not coming at it from how my mind sees it in my understanding, that I really am trying to understand God's word to the utmost so that I can relay that in a way that is going to make sense to you. You have to find what speaks to your heart. All right, so let's break it down again. The three steps to finding the perfect translation that you need to read. Number one, you need to get over that word translation and understand what it really means. And so understand that translation is not a bad word. (laughs) That actually it is amazingly awesome and so super cool that we are that blessed to be able to hear God's word. Number two, why is there more than one translation? So the idea of that thought for thought versus word for word. So understand that and see where you want to fit on this spectrum. Do you want to be more in the word for word? Do you want to be more in the thought for thought? Do you even want to read some of the paraphrased ones just so that you can understand the message? That's okay too. Number three, what translations do we have and what should we trust? So again, this is all in the blog. So go back, check out all the different versions there. See the little infographics. See how this can maybe help you in your life in deciding which ones to read. Download the apps so that you can toggle between all of them and just get to reading his word. Don't let the whole word translation stop you from hearing God's word. All right, guys, so I super apologize for still having a smoker voice for this episode today. I am really hoping that by next week it is back to full force, my voice, that is, and that I don't sound like a smoker anymore. But uh, I do so appreciate you guys listening to this. I really hope that these basic Christian beliefs are just speaking right to your heart and helping you in exactly the way you need it. And if it is, and I really hope it is, I would love for you to join the launch party like we talked about. This is the launch party for the course and the book that we have coming out in September that is going to do so much more of a deep dive into these 10 basic Christian beliefs that every Exmo and new believer need to know. So in the show notes is going to be that link. Go ahead and grab it. I'd love to have you guys as part of this. And if this episode really spoke to you, then I would love it also if you would share it. Share it with your friends. Share it with people who need to hear it because, uh, yeah, we just need to make him known, right? All right, guys, I will talk to you next time.
I do hope that this first episode in this series all about our basic Christian beliefs really did help you to understand just how beautiful the Bible is. And uh, if nothing else, I hope that it does inspire you to just go read it. Just read it because it is going to it is going to change your life. Now I want you to go straight to the show notes and I want you to click on the very first link in the show notes that is going to take you to a page that is going to get you signed up to be told all about the cool launch party that we are having for when Christian Beliefs 101 debuts here in the fall because we're going to go so much deeper into all of these things and it's really just going to help you to build that faith, build that trust and those first steps that we need to make in order to get closer to being that, uh, that follower of Christ that we want to be. Okay, so hit subscribe so that you don't miss the next episode in the series. And then also share this with somebody who you know needs to hear it. And I will talk to you guys next time.